from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Thank you for joining us on CyberTalk Radio. I'm Brett Pyatt, your host and a 20-year internet security veteran. We are here during National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and Tom DeSott is our guest. Before we talk human hacking and social engineering with Tom, we're going to give a little update on National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which is the month of October. For those of you that have not heard about National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, this is sponsored by staysafeonline.org and the U.S. government. This is to teach everyone in America how to stay safe and protect themselves online from malware, botnets, spam attacks, phishing, what to do if your email account gets hacked or your other user accounts get hacked. And this is good things that we all need to do now as everyone leads a connected life today, both personally to stay in contact with friends and family and for business to stay in contact with your business partners uh, and suppliers and customers. So you can learn more about National Cybersecurity Awareness Month at www.staysafeonline.org. I encourage everyone to check out staysafeonline.org. And now we will get back to this week's program here on CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. We're here with Tom DeSott from Digital Defense. Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming to join us, Tom. We're going to talk uh, this evening about the most difficult thing to secure, the people inside of every organization, and to protect the business from the mistakes that we all make, and I think every one of us is guilty of that. Um, in your background, Tom, can you help the audience understand a little bit uh, about why we would have you here uh, this week to talk with us about it? Well, I've been in the uh, computer security industry now for, like you, almost 20 years. I've uh, been working for Digital Defense since 2001. I currently act as their chief information officer. And basically what we do is we go out and help organizations secure not only their, their computer networks, but the people that work with the computers as well. And you're right, it is one of the hardest things to secure because it's, uh, it's something that people just don't take into consideration. Yeah, especially here, I think, in San Antonio, because we have a tendency um, as a city to be friendly and trusting. Exactly. And that behavior, which helps you in life, normally can be a security risk. And and that's really true. I mean, one of the things whenever I give a talk uh, that I always say is that what do we do when a company, when you hire somebody and you bring them on board the first day, you say, we're all one big happy family. We always here uh, to help each other out. and that kind of carries through. And so when someone says, you know, I've got this box and I need to carry it through the door and my badge isn't working, well, suddenly that becomes an issue. And, you know, that, that helpfulness now is placing the company at jeopardy. The human hacking is often called social engineering. Correct. And it, it has a long-running history, um, even back before the time of computers. Um, this is, as you said there in your example, was uh, tailgating into a building, mm-hmm. uh, bypassing, uh, could be a computer-controlled badge, but it could be a security guard, and you've just talked the security guard in your way through uh, the security there at the edge of the building, uh, on inside. Going through from social engineering, do you know, why did this end up being such a computer security problem? Because I think it, it's one where the secu- computer security folks are being asked to address this, and 
it's something that goes beyond just the realm of the computers or IT. Right, and, and primarily the reason that it falls into the security realm is because everyone has a computer on their desk now. And as a result, uh, you know, when you're gaining access to a building, you're in, eff in effect gaining access to computer systems. You might be gaining access to a printer room. You might be gaining access to a telco closet or the computer that's sitting on someone's desk. The tailgating we've described was one common social engineering used to gain physical access to, to a building. Uh, what are some of the other common types of uh, social engineering uh, attacks that um, people are trying every day? Well, I think one that, that most of the listeners would probably most, be most familiar with would be the attack known as phishing, uh, where you've actually got someone that's emailing into you, uh, whether they're the prince of some foreign land or somewhere else, uh, and they're trying to get you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. There's also pretext calling where you're calling in and you're actually trying to gain the trust of someone over the phone and get them to divulge information that they wouldn't normally give. So if uh, I got a call on my cell phone and they said, hello, I'm with your bank. Can you provide your social security number? Exactly. I mean, that, that's actually one of the types of attacks that we perform for organizations. Uh, we'll call in uh, acting as though we're a member of the IT staff uh, and get them to divulge information. As an example, with a financial institution, we'll get them to divulge the account numbers, the social security numbers, the balances, uh, all types of information that an attacker is going to want to gain. And so these attackers are, are using social engineering to facilitate some mission that they're on. This is um, a, uh, we've all seen this in spy movies. And this effectively in the spy movie, it's government versus government, uh, country versus country. But this is attacker versus business here. And they're using the same type of techniques, it sounds like, that you would see a, a spy using to try to steal information from another country. That's correct. That's correct. It's, it's not very far-fetched and far removed from what you would see in the movies. And in the, the movies, though, we, we have it's spy versus spy. The, the spy is trained to infiltrate things. Uh, the people that they're trying to infiltrate are trained to defend against that. Mm -hmm. uh, inside of most businesses, though, are there things that folks should be doing um, to train their employees? Yeah, I mean, we, we always say that that should be part of the information security training program. I mean, you're going to see companies have very strong password training programs where they're teaching people how to construct a strong password, how to protect the password, so on and so forth. But what we see so many times is that the, the companies are really not placing a lot of emphasis on what the, the individual needs to do to protect the company against social engineering. So going through that, and you said that there's uh, kind of a mock game where you can hire a firm to do social engineering testing to see the, your level of vulnerability as an organization. In your experience doing that type of social engineering testing, are there ever entities that come back with a 100% clean bill of health? Uh, no, there's, that never really happens. We're, we're actually probably anywhere from about 95 to 98% successful when we're calling into organizations uh, in gaining the information that we're being asked to, to uh, try to obtain. So this is why as we open the program here on CyberTalk Radio with Tom DeSott from Digital Defense this week, I said that this is the hardest thing to secure from. So Tom just said 95% success rate. If you had a network security solution that only stopped one out of every 20 attacks, or 
if you had a data security solution that you could only restore from a backup one out of 20 times, you would be flabbergasted. But is, is this something, so you present that information back to a, a client, how do they react to that? Uh, usually it's with, with uh, I hate to use the phrase, but it's with shock and awe. Uh, many times they think that uh, they're going to perform very well, that their staff would never give this type of information out. And so it's really shocking uh, when they see the results. As you, you go and do that, so there's uh, phone call methods, there's um, emailing things in. Uh, what other types of social social engineering attacks are commonly going after um, businesses these days? Uh, there, there are USB drops where you've actually got individuals that are dropping USB fobs uh, outside of companies in hopes that the employees are going to go through and actually pick that up and insert that into their computer. And then there's the, you know, the most brazen of all of the attacks, which is the actual physical attack on the organization. Yeah, where you, uh, again, yeah, dressed up as a package delivery guy, get exactly. dressed up as a, a telco maintenance guy asking to get into the server room, uh, all of those type of full um, targeted physical attacks. Exactly. Yeah, with the, the USB drop, we had mentioned uh, that on a episode talking about the Internet of Things, and it can look like a USB thumb drive, but actually it's a, a keyboard inside. So when it gets plugged into the computer, even if you've, done things to secure your uh, business from USB storage mm -hmm. um, in the policies on the operating system. When that USB drive gets plugged in, it's not actually a drive, it's a keyboard. And everyone allows USB keyboards to be plugged in because people have to be able to type on their computer. Exactly. Except this keyboard has a rootkit in it where it'll go download off the internet uh, and put a back door onto the computer. So it's it automatically starts typing this little, it looks like a USB storage drive, but it'll actually start typing on your computer for you, uh, which is pretty scary. And by the time folks have realized when they're in their Explorer and they're not seeing the drive um, pop up, no little drive letters showing up, by the time they've figured out that this could be an attack, it's already done. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen is that when we actually perform these types of USB drop attacks is that uh, we'll go through and we'll actually label the package uh, bonuses 2016 or CEO salary 2016 to entice the individuals to, to take that drive. And what we've actually seen is we, we've seen individuals go through and try it on multiple computers, uh, and then we've actually seen them take it home and try it on their home computer because the USB fobs report back to us uh, what the individual is doing with the fob. Yeah, and that's good that there's out there uh, on the good guy side of this testing. And this is part of what you really need to do um, from a security perspective, especially with this human hacking. Mm -hmm. um, we do, on the computer side of stuff, network scanning all the time. Security teams do all sorts of activities to uh, check their networks and secure their networks with, with penetration testing, a technical side of that, and with network perimeter scans and system scans and system security update uh, checkers and all of these types of, of activities all the time. But I actually have some experience where I've seen that organizations are apprehensive to allow a either their own security team or a security firm to call their employees or to uh, test these type of human hacking attacks. Uh, we've seen that as well, especially in the legal space, uh, where they're very leery of, of people divulging information that's you know highly confidential, potentially about a client. Uh, they tend to be very leery of doing these types of engagements. Yeah. And 
it's as you mentioned, this is likely the most successful way to get into an organization, and organizations are most likely to also be afraid to do this type of testing. I think it's another one um, where I've seen that folks don't want to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And the person that ends up divulging this information feels embarrassed at the end, and they shouldn't. Like uh-huh. you're, you're going against a trained attacker, and you're the average business person. Exactly. And uh, this is is one where I think um, you've got us here on the radio saying, "Don't feel embarrassed. Like you um, should be doing your best every day." But this is one where there's always more to learn, um, and the attacker only has to get in once. You have to be able to defend against every attack. And the goal out of some of this human hacking training can be to get you to the point where the attacker moves on and picks a different company. Exactly. And, you know, it's no different, really, and you were touching on this just a minute ago when you were talking about the, the putting firewalls in and things of that nature. You know, people have hardened their their perimeters, their network perimeters, such to the point that the attackers do go and look for an easier target. And really, it's you, you're quite correct. It's really no different in the human space as well. That if your employees are well trained and they know how to prevent these attacks, I mean, look, the the easiest way to stop one of these attacks is just to stop someone in the hall and and ask, you know, can I help you? Or I'm sorry, I can't divulge that information to you. Is there a number I can call you back at? Uh, that uh, the employee could use. And all too often, the, the companies are just simply not training the employees to use those tactics. Yeah. And you're listening to 1200 WAI. You're here on Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking social engineering and human hacking with Tom DeSott from Digital Defense. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, and we will cover after the bottom of the hour break some things you can do to implement a security awareness program inside your business. Continuing on right now, we're talking about just the high level of what is social engineering, what is human hacking, and Tom, one of the things we haven't covered yet is how prevalent is this uh, from the work you guys do to to test companies, but for uh, work you do to secure other companies when you're helping them uh, investigate a data breach or an attack, how Mm -hmm. often is a social component involved? Uh, It's quite typically involved. Uh, All too often, uh, we see that companies are falling prey to these types of attacks. And, uh, you know, it's basically rendering all of the money that they've spent on their network defenses moot uh, because uh, they've been circumvented. Yeah, and and this is one where the security industry has gone through to put in controls, to put content filtering on emails, mm-hmm. to put in um, things that will test links on a website before you actually allow the browser to go out and visit mm-hmm. the website. And those are all items that, in most cases these days, don't impact people's productivity and in usability. Um, and their ease of just getting things done. The the social engineering piece, I think, can be a control and a solution you can implement as well where you put training in place that this doesn't make people's lives harder. Right. And, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, it's really nothing more than, than stopping someone in the hall and asking them, you know, can I help you because you seem lost or you know, uh, stopping them with the pretext calling by simply asking them a few questions about why they're calling and what information they need. Yeah. So 
going through on a, a social engineering attack, if, if I'm a, a, an attacker and I was going to go after a business, uh, where do I start gathering information and what type of information are they going to have to seem legitimate when they call? Uh, you know, the easiest place is to go out on the internet. You know, I hate to say it, but that's really because companies put so much information out on the web now about their organization, you know, who their management team is, uh, how long they've been in business, where they're physically located, what their mailing address and all their phone numbers are. And it really provides a, you know, treasure trove of information for an attacker to use to, to formulate an attack and basically lay the groundwork for the information that they're going to be seeking out. Yeah, we, we talked social media security and social network security on uh, one of our past episodes as well. And, and uh, attackers can also use your employees' social networks. If your mm-hmm. employees are posting things publicly, now I can see that Bob and Joe went to a barbecue this weekend. So if I call up and say, hi, I'm Brett, and I, hey, Bob, I saw you were at the barbecue with Joe this last weekend, and now you're starting a friendly conversation and getting through that trust barrier with the person you just you picked up on the phone. And now all that information, while it's out there on the Internet, uh, does that mean that employees shouldn't be using social networks or they shouldn't be sharing on the Internet? No, it really doesn't. And, and it's a fine line. And we try to explain that to people because we actually get the question that you just asked quite a bit. You know, should I be restricting what my employees are doing online? Should I be telling them, you know, you can't have a Facebook page, you can't have a Twitter account? And the answer to that is no. Uh, you know, they basically just need to be educated within your training program on what's acceptable. I mean, obviously, you know, as, as a prime example, if you're working at a financial institution, uh, you wouldn't want somebody posting on their Facebook account, wow, I'm here alone again by myself. You know, this keeps happening over and over again every day. I wonder why they never get hire anyone else to help us. That's obviously not something that you're going to want someone posting online. Yeah, especially it makes sense if it's a, a bank with uh, cash deposits or exactly. whatnot in there. Yeah, or a credit union. Uh, so for... The social engineering attacks we've covered, um, kind of reaching you via the phone, reaching you via email, coming in and trying a, a social uh, attack, the, the USB drop, these are all um, kind of the top categories. Are there others that uh, you go through and should make folks aware of in a, a general training well, probably, you know, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, the most brazen attack is the, the in-person attack. And that's really the one that people have the hardest time training for uh, because you don't know who's walking in your door. Um, you know, when we perform these types of attacks, uh, we'll go through and actually formulate badges. We've already cased the organization. We know what their badges look like. We know what their logos are and everything else. So we'll formulate a badge, obviously, that doesn't work. Uh, but then we'll go through and, and usually gain entrance through the employee entrance. A lot of people think that we'll go through the front door or something of that nature, but it's usually through the employee entrance, uh, acting as an employee, and then gaining access to the physical premise of the company. And from the social engineering, this usually is not a, a means to an end. It's, a, it's the first step in a process. You're not social engineering just to get a social security number or just to get an account number. Uh, are there th- things that you can do as a business um, to even if information is divulged or turned over to help slow down or, or limit the ability of the attacker to capitalize on that information? Well, you know, it, it all goes back to training because if your employees feel for, for any instance that they've been socially engineered, uh, the reporting process needs to start. 
they need to let their chief security officer or their IT department know, or it, you know, if nothing else, their manager know, hey, I just got this call and they were asking for a lot of very specific information. Uh, I feel like I might have been socially engineered. Uh, and that really starts the ball rolling on making sure that the company can uh, work to protect an account or protect the information that was divulged. So back to that um, embarrassed or ashamed, in, they shouldn't be embarrassed no. or ashamed. They should be vocal about the attempt. Right. They really should. I mean, uh, all too often we see that employees don't want to self-report uh, for that shame factor. Uh, but we always, when we go out and we'll do on-site training or any of our, our online training programs, we'll go through and we'll make sure that they understand there's no shame in, in what's just happened because you're working, as you said earlier, against someone that's a professional that's trained to do it. Yeah. I, I had an attempt on me directly. I was uh, at the office here assembling uh, some furniture, and I got a call in saying that uh, they were from Microsoft's security team and that there was a, a patch that I needed to put on my machine immediately and could I get to my computer to um, sit down and they would walk me through installing the patch mm -hmm. and I, I put them on speakerphone here in the office and um, talk the person in circles for for 45 minutes just to see what I could learn from the attack but then also tie them up on the phone so they're not able to call somebody else for for that point in time and they I think after about 45 minutes they had escalated me to a, a second person and then decided the second person decided that I was never going to actually fall through for the attack, and uh, they hung up on me. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because that's actually one of the tactics that we'll use that we'll call in acting as a member of the IT team, uh, trying to get someone to install a particular patch or to run a particular file for us or to go to a website and download a, a, a file for us. Uh, and again, we're still very, very successful when we do that because uh, we, we've cased the organization well enough that we know what type of pressure that we need to apply, uh, who the name drops are that we need to use uh, to get the people to, to perform the actions that we need them to do. Yeah. And th this social engineering attacking uh, for folks is significantly different than just the uh, kind of what they call it internet drive-by where you have some bot scanner that is just looking for a specific version of software that's not patched, and then it'll hack that piece of software and install a backdoor. On these social engineering attacks, when the these are occurring, the attacker has decided to target your company or your business or you as an individual. Uh, so with these targeted attacks, how do I, if I successfully defend as one employee and I report, how do I get that attacker to give up on me as a company? Uh, really, it's making sure that all of your employees are properly trained uh, so that they see a consistent barrier. Uh, you know, you're, it's basically, for lack of a better expression, an employee firewall, uh, where you've got your employees that are acting as a firewall, preventing the attacks from, from being successful. Yeah. So this is, is something that you would need to put into a new hire employee training program then because and one of the things like with the social networks again such as LinkedIn I can see pretty immediately if a new person joins a specific organization and maybe if I couldn't get in there before I see that they announced they have a new job I could go right after them on day one or mm -hmm. the first week where especially they could be vulnerable to that type of IT help desk attack of like hi I'm Brett from the IT help desk I'm here to help you get your um 
travel app installed on your computer. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, we also see a lot of instances, especially with LinkedIn, uh, because of the type of, of social network that it is, where there are so many uh, fake accounts that are being set up specifically for those types of attacks, where you can actually go through and you can do image searches and you can determine very quickly that the person that uh, is the, in the picture is not the person that they're saying that they are. Yeah, it's a, where we have the uh, same image you'll see either across multiple profiles mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, or if you go out and search on the internet, you'll see that this is a photo that has somebody else's name tied to it in a number of other locations, and they've actually uh, taken Tom DeSott's photo off the Digital Defense website and have created a LinkedIn profile that says their name is Bob Jones, and it's not exactly. actually Bob Jones. It's really a picture of Tom. Exactly. So. We're going to take a break here in a moment. At the bottom of the hour, you'll get the traffic news and weather update. We'll be back after the break with Tom DeSott of Digital Defense, where we will do a security awareness training program on the radio. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm here with Tom DeSott from Digital Defense, and we're talking human hacking. Um, before the break, we covered phishing and phone social engineering and all of these kind of common things attackers will use to get past all of those advanced technical defenses that you put in place. So, Tom, as uh, we were chatting there during the break, um, we had some real-world examples come up. Can you go through uh, one or two of those for us? Sure. So, you know, one of the the real-world real world examples uh, that I always like to talk about uh, are the on-site attacks uh, that we've actually performed. I, I like to give war stories to people because it tends to drive the message home. Uh, one of the, the my favorites, uh, we were actually doing an engagement for a fashion company uh, in New York in the fashion district, and uh, you know what do they have at the at the main floor of every building, in a in a uh, office building in in downtown Manhattan? They've got a security guard, uh, and I was stopped at the security guard, and uh, the gentleman said, you know, I don't have your name on the list. I can't let you up, uh, and I was actually there to do security training for the organization, and. Um, I said, look, you know, I, I just drove in from Jersey. I'm, I'm brand new. This is my first day. I've uh, never been here before. Uh, I can't be late. Uh, you know, you've got to let me in. And uh, I had a Texas driver's license, uh, so didn't even have a, a New Jersey ID. Had a Texas driver's license. Gave him, gave him that. And he said, uh, okay, well, there's something wrong with the computer. If I let you up, will you promise that you'll come back later and get a badge? And I said, of course. You know, of course I will. Uh, so I immediately went up the elevator, went to the floor that I needed to go to. When I got out onto the floor, uh, I was confronted with glass doors on both sides that, that had mag locks on it. So magnetic locks that unless you have a badge, there's no way that you're going to get through. Uh, went through and knocked on the door and a, a very nice young lady came up to the door and said, uh, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm from Jersey. I just started with the company and I'm here for the training program. And uh, she said, oh, no, we're going through security training this week, and they've told us don't let anybody in that you don't know. And I said, well, you know, it's my first day. I said, of course you're not going to know me. I said, and I, you know, I can't be late because I, I, I don't want to get fired on my first day. 
and so eventually after about five minutes of talking to her, uh, she let me in and she let me to the training room and uh, left me unattended. Uh, I went back to her desk a, a few minutes later after walking around and uh, I said, uh, you know, is there anywhere that I can get some coffee? And she said, oh yeah, but take the back stairwell, don't take the elevators because you're going to be faced with the maglocks again on the other, other floors just like you work here. Just take this back stairwell and that'll allow you through. So went through, did that, uh, went up to the executive suite, uh, and uh, I was able to gain access to the, the chairman's office, to the president's office. Their laptops were there, their iPads were there. I could have easily gained access to those. Uh, and what was one of the things that I, I found most funny is I was actually stopped by somebody. Somebody did stop me on the floor and say, you know, is there something that I can help you with? And I, I gave them the, the spiel again about being from Jersey and being new and ha never having been in a high rise before I wanted to look around. And um, just so happened that they had left their computer unlocked. Well, the, on the computer was the email uh, that was coming from the point of contact uh, that was stating that I was going to be there doing the security training for the day. And so I found that really ironic uh, that that was actually up there. So uh, after all was said and done and I had gained access to, to pretty much every floor within the organization, including the design floor where they had their sales projections laid out on desks and stuff like that, uh, I went through and I actually had to perform the training. And so you can imagine the, the people's looks when they saw me that I was the one that was actually giving the training when they had seen me walking around all morning. Yeah, and into the building and the, there through the um, inherent... Uh, of risk that everyone is generally tries to be friendly, welcoming, and trusting. And this doesn't just happen though to commercial sector uh, companies. The, um, the military does their own uh, social engineering and uh, testing of the security on their their bases. And there have been a number of books written about mm -hmm. this uh, from some of the the teams that go in and do that testing on the military bases, where they'll gain access to classified areas or. I mean, there was uh, one example in a, one of the books I read where they uh, got onto the base and kidnapped the base commander's wife, and because this base commander was uh, a little bit arrogant, saying that there's never going to get into my base, you'll never be able to do anything. And they went onto the base, they went into the officer's housing area of the base, they kidnapped his wife, and they they called him back up and said, "We've uh, finished uh, our assessment of your base, and we believe that it's not secure." And he huffed and puffed and said, "Absolutely secure." He said, "They said call your wife," and uh, they called his wife on her cell phone, and the attacker answered and said, "So how secure is this? Your wife's here with me right now." Mm -hmm. And he hung the phone up on him and ran and raved, said, "You weren't authorized to go to that area of the base. You weren't." Um, that was not in scope for your test. That was all the rest of these things. And this is one of those war story kind of examples where the attacker doesn't have a scope of a test. The attacker doesn't have boundaries or limits. The attacker is going to go to wherever they think they can cause the, the biggest problem or find the biggest weak spot. And the base commander may have secured all of their um, SCIF facilities. They may have secured all of the real um, hardcore military facilities of the area, but they were able to go into the base and take his wife, which at that point, if you've kidnapped someone's family, you may now be able to, the next phase of the attack, use that person uh, to as leverage. as leverage to get somebody else to get you in an area that you wouldn't have been able to get into. Um, and this is one where you, you can't be arrogant. You can't have hubris about these sorts of things. You, you have to uh, be open and, and realize that 
by sharing the information, by talking about it, by getting through some of these stories, it sounds innocent to let you through the mag swipe. It sounds innocent to let you up, but all of a sudden you're in and for, I mean, for a, a fashion company being able to have their designs before they've hit the runway show. Um, and that could be hugely damaging to them. If you took that information out and some other fashion company was able to copy it and release a design on the runway the week before they did. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and one of the other, the other war stories that I always get into is, is one that was with an oil and gas concern and uh, you'll appreciate this because uh, they had uh, very sophisticated alarm systems. They had badging systems. They had armed guards. But the one reason that they uh, they told me that I would not get in uh, is because I have a goatee. Uh, they had told me that they had a clean shave policy because none of the, the rig workers were allowed to have facial hair. So no one within the company was allowed to have facial hair. Uh, the day that I went in and did the attack, I still had my goatee, and I walked in the door uh, along with everyone else, and no one stopped me. Wow. Yeah. So the the belief that you, you have this policy and that someone will notice the thing out of the ordinary, um, it's one where if you look like you belong, you can often go in and, and get away with uh, all sorts of things. Because I'll bet when you showed up to that fashion house, um, you looked like you belonged there. You had that that attitude of I should be here I should be going upstairs uh, and folks will let you on in or through exactly and that's one of the things whenever we do these types of attacks is, is we take on the mantle of the of the people that we're actually attacking so we know how they dress we know if they have a relaxed dress code or if they wear suit and tie every day we know if do they carry backpacks or briefcases uh, what do their badges look like we've got all of that information ready and at our disposal so that when we're doing the attack uh, there's nothing about our physical appearance that's really going to raise any eyebrows. So you're listening to 1200 WOAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and we're talking human hacking. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt. We're here with Tom Desat from Digital Defense, and we're about to start a security awareness training program on the radio. We're going to go through... Uh, one more on-site social engineering tactic. So we, you talked about uh, kind of getting into the building and uh, working around there during the day. Is there um, any other uh, good ones to share here before we start our awareness training? Probably the, the last one that I'd like to share, and, and this happens a lot within companies, and it's, it's why I like to share it. You know, all companies tend to do construction at some point in time. Uh, where they'll do uh, construction on their office or, or something of that nature. I did a social engineering engagement uh, for a financial institution where they asked us to go out to one of their branch offices uh, that was actually having construction done. Uh, when I walked through, uh, they had propped the door open, uh, left it open because they had the construction workers coming in and out. Now, granted, I was in khakis and a shirt, so I didn't necessarily look like a construction worker, but I could have been a foreman, so they, they really didn't catch any, any alarm. But when I was there, I wanted to push it and see how, how far I could take it, so I asked one of the tellers, I said, uh, which is the computer that's always giving you problems? Uh, and a lot of people will ask me, well, why would you ask that? That seems like a really random question to ask. Well, most of the time it's because within every office there's always a computer that is acting up at some point, a, a computer or a printer. Uh, and so as soon as I asked that, uh, the teller said, oh, yeah, it's this third one down from the end. Uh, it's always giving us problems. And uh, I went down, disconnected it, uh, and was able to actually take it out to my vehicle uh, with no one stopping me. 
when uh, we did the out briefing with the branch manager at the time, uh, he was he was rather angry, said that it was unfair, uh, and said that, you know, we've got all this construction going on that really wasn't the best time to do this type of attack. And I said, well, that's really the most ideal time to do this type of attack because you've got so many people in and out that you're not tracking. Yeah. So for a, a security awareness training program, so this sounds maybe overwhelming to a business. So uh, for a kind of baseline, if you're a, a big company with um, real assets, it's secure, and you're going to put folks through an awareness training program. Are you talking hours, days, weeks? Uh, it, it really depends. I mean, we, we have some training modules that are as short as, as eight minutes. Uh, that really uh, get the point across. Uh, we've had some organizations that hire us that it's a day-long event uh, that the people are sitting with us for eight hours and we're going through all of the different types of attack scenarios and, and really what they need to be doing to, to help the organization protect itself. So you can go as short as eight minutes. Uh, so we're going to try to go maybe somewhere a little bit beyond eight minutes here on the radio today, but definitely not eight hours. Uh, so Going through a, an eight-minute class, uh, this will be eight-minute abs um, for us, maybe eight-minute security awareness training for the, uh, the businesses out there. Uh, so step one, be friendly, but don't grant any access that folks shouldn't have. Uh, as we just talked through that spot where you were able to get into the building, and once you're in, you can do all sorts of, of things. Uh, or the, I guess, other piece there, if you're person talked about the computer acting up go and you don't know who this person is go over and supervise them while they're doing something so they don't just grab the computer and carry it out to their car exactly uh so from a a module perspective so uh password security um and how does that password security piece because this gets talked about all the time go into uh, social engineering well because that's actually one of the things especially when we're doing the on-site engagements uh that we're looking for we're looking for passwords to systems uh, and so one of the things that organizations need to be training their employees on is one, you know, how, obviously how to construct and, and use a, a secure password, but also how to protect that password. Uh, I've gone through and done engagements where people have gotten very sophisticated and they've actually created a file in their, in their filing cabinet uh, under P called passwords, where they've been keeping all of their passwords uh, for, for months, actually, for all different types of systems. Uh, we see it. Uh, we still see it. Believe it or not, uh, where people will keep them under their keyboards. Uh, we we still don't know why people are still doing that because every company tells you nowadays not to do that, but people still do it. And then uh, we see people try to get really uh, creative where they'll put them under the the seat of their chair uh, on the bottom of the chair. We'll see them where they'll put them on the inside door of the credenza, their overhead credenza. Uh, and so what we try to do is go through and educate these people and say, look, there's, there's really none of these places is going to be secure for you because even if you're putting it in a file and you're locking it, you're more than likely leaving the key to that cabinet in another drawer and we're going to look in that drawer and find that key and get into the cabinet. And so what we try to educate them about is keeping it on their person. If they really feel as though they need to write it down, uh, we recommend if it's a man to keep it in his wallet or if it's a, a lady to keep it in her purse because obviously you're going to be protecting your driver's license, your credit cards, your social security cards, things of that nature, a little bit more than you're going to be protecting a lot of other information. The passwords be, should be given that, that same type of credence. Yeah, and uh, I've seen instances where uh, the security team goes and they implement multi-factor authentication, maybe even with a hardware token, 
and you find that people put the hardware token under the keyboard that has the sticky note with the passwords. So exactly. The security team's going, you know what, I don't care if there's passwords under my keyboards because I've got these hardware tokens implemented now. But they leave the token where they have their password because when they need to type their password in, they need their token. Um, or the token is sitting um, in a laptop bag uh, next to the desk or in a, in a purse with a keychain next to the desk, and it's there near that keyboard in a spot where having the multi-factor authentication doesn't help. Mm-hmm. From an awareness training perspective, yeah, that token you should treat the same as your, your bank card. If you're leaving that token out in a spot, picture it in your mind that it is your bank card. Would you leave your bank card there? Exactly, exactly. And when and what we do in training is we'll try to drive that home by using the you know real-world examples as you just did. Uh, and it, it, we really see that people pick up on that a lot easier than if you try to bring it across as a technical topic. If you really bring it home to them and say, look, you know, this, this is your bank card, this is your driver's license, this is your social security number, what would you do to protect it? It, it, really, it really gets the message across. Yeah. So the phishing attacks. Uh, so this is where someone sends that fake email in that says, uh, this is an email from Brett, and I'm, I'm emailing uh, James, our producer, and I'm saying, hey, James, can you click on this link for the, uh, I want to talk about this on the next topic on the, the next program. James might look at that and go, well, that seems reasonable. Brett would ask me to click on a link here. So what types of things should folks be looking at on a phishing email to detect that that's not really an email from Brett? Well, you know, with the phishing emails, what we see even becoming more prevalent nowadays are are actually whaling attacks, uh, where the attacks are focused against the the CEO, the CIO, the chief financial officer, uh, especially, uh, where you've got people uh, that are sending emails uh, proposed, putting themselves forward basically as being the CEO, telling the CFO, I need you to wire you know X number of thousands of dollars to pay off this account or something of that nature. And it, it gets really tricky because a lot of times uh, management will, will say, well, you know, I'm not going to be subjected to the same type of attack that my employees would. Well, actually, no, you're going to be subjected to an attack that's even worse uh, because it could lead to a real monetary loss for your company. And we all know that once a wire transfer hits the wire, there's really not a lot that you can do about it, and it's really hard to get the funds back, even if you can at all. Uh, and so what we try to do is educate people on, does it seem reasonable? Does the, does the request seem reasonable? Uh, if not, then use a second form of, of authentication by calling them and saying, hey, did you actually send me this email? Uh, you know, I know it looks like one of your normal requests, but the, the dollar figure seems out of sorts or something of that nature. Yeah, so a, a second channel verification. So if you, you get an email asking you to do something, um, if you have a company instant messenger software, reach out to the person over that and go, hey, you just asked me this. Um, is this really you? Because uh, it could even be to the point where um, some phishing emails come from a fake email account where if you mouse over the email address, exactly. you'll see it's not really the same. Or if you mouse over the link, it might not be the same. In some cases, though, that phishing email is you've actually already hacked the CEO's email account, and mm-hmm. now you're using that hacked email account. So it really is coming from their email account to you as the CFO, and it is this, the, the CEO's email saying, wire this money. Mm-hmm. So some of the things you would look at to see, is this a fake link, is this a fake email account, may not apply. So in that event of, as you said, the wire transfer scenario, uh, use an out-of-channel verification. So whatever channel that comes in, if it comes in over a text message, email the person. If mm-hmm. uh, you can and it, you're really suspicious about it, 
get the person in a room and make sure that you're seeing them. And if to the point where they've maybe they like the general's wife, they've been kidnapped and they're telling you, Tom, I really need you to wire this money. You're right. sitting in a room with them. Um, at some point there, you may need to call the authorities because you're worried that something else has happened that they're not disclosing to you. But if you get to the point where they've gone all the way to that human hacking of actually compromising people, you've done your due diligence as an individual. Uh, but acting upon just that first email, and we're all in such a hurry these days. Everyone's trying to get so much done. So your inclination is if you see something simple from somebody you trust to just knock it out and get it done right away so that you can, again, make people happy. Exactly. So when you're out there uh, browsing the internet, um, so you're going to websites, ads are popping up, things are going on. Um, the security teams have all tried to put in place web filtering and content filtering and content security solutions. Uh, but as you're, you're doing that web browsing, what things should I be aware of on the internet? Uh, I mean, there's so much that's going on on the internet now. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the segment, uh, drive-by downloads, things of that nature. Uh, you know, you activating a bot that may infect your computer or something of that nature. Uh, there's so many things that you need to be leery of. And, and what we always recommend, uh, if a company can do it, is uh, have one computer for the employee to use for, for work purposes uh, and another computer to use for, for general internet use, things of that nature. Even if that means setting up a, a cafe, so to speak, where employees can go and do general web browsing. The reason for that is that we've seen, especially in financial institutions where you've got tellers that are using a computer system uh, where they're processing financial transactions for people, but they're also using it to go out and browse Facebook or something of that nature where a malicious ad may pop up. Uh, and then you've got a compromised system where somebody may be actually using uh, a remote access tool to monitor their screen and take screenshots of account numbers, social security numbers, balances, things of that nature. Yeah. And so, well, the security solutions can help on some of that and air gapping the systems there, separating the systems help. But what if... Um, I'm on Facebook, I, I work at a bank, and I, I see one of my coworkers ask me, hey, can you give me Tom's account number? And this is on Facebook Messenger. It's not through a, a company channel. Right. Should that That's really a policy issue. Your, your company needs to make sure that you've got policies put in place so that the employees understand what they can and can't and should and shouldn't be doing. Because without it, it, it's really unfair to the employee. The employee may say, well, this is rather innocuous. I use Facebook Messenger all the time. What's the big deal? What they don't realize is that Facebook is mining all of that data, uh, and so the data is actually being exposed to people that don't have the right to to the information. Yeah, or that face your your coworker's Facebook account's been hacked. Exactly. And now they're they're using that as a, that kind of step one in the social engineering to now start Facebook messaging other people that work at the the bank with them to get information that they shouldn't have because it's really now an, an attacker. Uh, so we, we've talked through um, safe web browsing, uh, social media dangers, um, keeping those passwords safe and clean, uh, gone through. So from the uh, physical attacks, this security awareness training that before the hour, uh, top of the hour, we had mentioned um, this drop test of finding a USB fob whether on the floor of your office in your lobby outside of your office. Um, as a, a physical type of attack that you should be aware of and you should be defending yourself against. Exactly. Uh, you know, employees need to be educated that, you know, just because they're finding some type of technology, whether it's a USB fob 
whether it's a phone, whether it's anything that they're finding, that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be taking it into the offices and plugging it in to see what it will do and what it will gain them access to. Um, you know, we, we see this so many times when we do these types of attacks that employees are, are all too ready uh, to pick, pick up something simply because of how it's labeled uh, and try to use that uh, on their computer system. Yeah. So uh, in the office, let's say that my security team's done a, a great job of putting in place these web security solutions. They only allow me to go to my, my business applications for my computer, but I've got my cell phone with me, and my cell phone can be a Wi-Fi hotspot these days. Uh, and should I be connecting to my computer on the Wi-Fi hotspot on my cell phone? No, because when you're when you're doing that, what a lot of people don't recognize when they're doing that that they're say they've got a laptop and they're they're hardwired into their corporate business systems, uh, but they've got Wi-Fi running also, and they basically uh, connect into their phone or into a Wi-Fi hotspot that somebody else might be running, which is actually even worse. Uh, what they're doing in effect is they're bridging those two networks with their computer and they might potentially be giving access to someone uh, to their corporate network through that Wi-Fi hotspot. Yeah, and this is one where uh, attackers will ask you to do this as well. Like you should never connect your phone or connect to a Wi-Fi hotspot that is not something that you are certain is responsible and clear as part of what you should be doing with that work-related system. And that, that's one of the things when we go out and we'll do engagements, we'll, we'll do wireless engagements, we'll find that so many times uh, that especially with laptops, because so many laptops come with Wi-Fi turned on automatically, uh, we'll find it all too often that they're bridging networks and, and they don't even recognize it. Yeah. So we've covered human hacking and social engineering here with Tom DeSott from Digital Defense. And I'd like to thank you for joining us this week, Tom, and uh, helping run a security awareness training class for all of our listeners. Brett, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And this is Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt. And next week, we will be talking HIPAA and healthcare security. <laughs>